Weak faith versus strong faith. Next on Truth For Today. Sure, the Bible tells us that we are to increase our faith, that we are to seek a greater faith. That said, there are times when Jesus says that if you've got faith as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Case in point, John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. Not much faith in the beginning, but as this one man will soon see, even a little bit of faith or a weak faith is all it takes, at least as long as there is a sure word to back it up. For the details, here's Pastor Phil Howard with this edition of Truth For Today. Now we're continuing our studies in the book of John. Next week I'm going to go back and do a message on what is worship and uh, deal with the various concepts we have. I don't want to race by John 4.23 too quick. I want to come back and see what music has to do with worship, uh, what preaching has to do with it, uh, what you have to do with it. And so we're going to look at what worship is next week. But today, I want us to focus on a man's faith. I call it weak faith, and I don't know if that's fair to the nobleman. We might just call it faith in a strong and a sure God faith. And I'm going to look at four aspects of his faith. First of all, his faith is born out of crises. And this is the thing that sets him up to come to Christ, crises in his life. The second thing about his faith is that uh, he became convinced once he heard the word of Christ. That's all he needed was a word from Christ. And it was convincing to him. He goes home to see the miracle in front of him, the boy's well, and so his faith was confirmed by the real evidence of what God did in the life of his son. And then I want us just to consider uh, how contagious can your faith be? It said that he and his whole household believed after this incident. And so I want us to Consider this uh, great incident. Christ has just been in Samaria. And you could say, if we were writing it up today, they had a revival, at least in Sychar. The town was turned upside down by the testimony of the woman at the well. She came back, told about a man she met that knew everything about her life, called him a prophet, came to see he was the savior of the world, truly the Messiah, And she can't be quiet. She goes back to the town and tells them they come. Many of them come out of the town. It says many came to Christ because they believed her testimony. Others got to Christ directly and they believed his word. So a whole region is turned upside down because Christ says, I can give you water you can't find in the well. I can give you something that's not in Jacob's well. And he just turns the place upside down. They beg him to stay two days, and he does. Now he crosses back over into his home country, and that's Judea, Galilee, Jerusalem vicinity. 
And they've already, many in Galilee have already heard him and seen him up at Jerusalem. And so they know he's a wonder worker. He's a miracle worker. And on one hand, they didn't welcome him as a person, but they welcomed what he could do. He was like a carnival act to them. Do a miracle. Show a display of power. Show off what you're able to do. And we'll find the progression and how he deals with that. The first thing about this man's faith, this nobleman, who worked uh, most likely for Herod Antipas, who oversaw the Galilean region. And uh, Herod called himself a king, even though he was not the Caesar, so that we have this royal official works for a king. And uh, he comes about 20 miles from Capernaum, this is north of Cana, 20 miles down, either by foot or by some animal. And so it's going to be a 40-mile round trip for him to get to the miracle worker, get to the one whose reputation was, Joseph has got a carpenter's son in Cana, but also maybe the reports from Jerusalem have came back, said he is a miracle worker. He wasn't in Samaria. He doesn't know about the water being turned to wine. Maybe he did. That was in Cana of Galilee too. So that, the reputation has got ahead. But he's got a problem. He's got a boy that is on the brink of death. And a man of his standing, no doubt, could get to the best doctors of the day, could get to the best professional help of the day, but the boy is at the verge of dying, so the dad makes this risk. Even though the boy had a fever when he left, he said, I'll risk a trip 20 miles away to look up this miracle worker. He finds Christ, and Christ is beseeched by him, and he comes to him and he said, please come heal my son. He's at the point of death. And the first thing Christ does seems very rude, but it's a plural in the Greek. He's rebuking the Galilean mentality toward him. And he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This is a rebuke. You Galileans want to see me because you want me to do something for you. You want the doctor to get you well, but you don't want to know the doctor. I've never gone to lunch with anyone that's ever been my doctor. I've never been in their home, and some of them, I thank God, I didn't have to get to know. I didn't go to them because I wanted to know them. I went to them because I wanted them to make me well. I wasn't trying to strike up a new friendship. I didn't care how obnoxious they could be if they had the skill to get me or my loved ones well. I was on a journey. And Christ, when he comes into Galilee, he on one hand says they welcomed him, but they only welcomed him if he would perform miracles and signs. They didn't want his person. They have not bought into the fact he's Messiah. They haven't bought into he's the son of God, but we would like to see you perform some more. And he rebukes their attitude. And in the midst of this rebuke, this nobleman, 
He, he's not from Galilee. He's up at Capernaum. He's not part of this crowd's mentality. He hasn't even been around. He said, I've come because I have a boy that's dying. That's what brings me. My needs bring me to you, Christ. Only you can fix the situation. I think this points to something that happens in our lives all the time. Crisis is the only way some people ever come to Christ. That uh, they've got a situation, they've got a boy, they've got a girl, they've got a health problem, they've got a marriage problem, and they've tried everything, and they're going to finally give Jesus a try. And their problems and their pain have a way of bringing them to Christ. Now, God is not fooled for why you came. He didn't say, only the healthy can get to me. Only the people that just want me, he'll accept you for coming because you're in pain. He uses that pain to get you to come. Did you know that crisis is often a gift from God to get you to come to the end of your resources and make you see, I need a great Savior. I've got to look up Jesus. If I don't get him on the case, there's nobody that can make this boy of mine stay alive. He's at wit's end. Lewis said it maybe the best in The Problem of Pain. Famous line that God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to our conscience, but he uses pain as a megaphone to speak to a deaf world. Pain is the only way he gets some people to ever come to him. And so he brings the pain to turn you around and to bring you to himself. Think in your lives here. The pain God has used. I think of the Hylics, some friends of ours, that when we first met them, they had just lost a child that had been drowned. And in that pain, here he was, a preacher's boy, See a girl that grew up at Sherwood Forest, uh, got away from the Lord, and, and neither one of them living for the Lord, but God tracked them down. God used incredible pain. When you bury a child, God's shouting at you. I think of my own mother. She came to faith only after she saw her four-year-old boy run over in front of her, and after three months or so of getting over the nervous breakdown that ensued. Then she went to a home Bible study on the block, and there she came to Christ. But it was in the midst of the grief of a young mother bearing a firstborn son. McGee tells a story of a man that grew up in uh, uh, West Texas, outside of Amarillo. And the guy was tough as a boot. He had no time for God for religion. He had no use for it. His wife was a wonderful Christian woman. They had a beautiful daughter, but don't talk to him about God. He had, he had nothing to do with it. He was rough and tough. One day he was riding uh, around in his pickup and uh, doing his work, had the radio on, and over it came an announcement that there was a fire at the local school where his girl went to school. And by the time he drove to that uh, grammar school and found out the devastation, he also found out that that darling little blonde-headed girl perished in the fire. 
The preacher dreaded, dreaded, dreaded having to visit that home. He knew he wasn't ever going to be welcomed by this dad. He had shunned him many times before. Don't bug me about church. Don't bug me about God. But of course, the wife went to that church, so the pastor makes the call. When he got to the home, the dad was in the parlor, sitting in a stupor, as it were, in deep grief. The pastor finally took a chair to sit down by him, and neither one talked. pastor didn't want to dare say anything in such a tense uh, setting. So they sat there, they sat there, and finally... The dad spoke up and he said, Preacher, God has been after me for years and years and years, and I've told him no a thousand times. I never knew he wanted me so bad as to take the apple of my eye. I'm ready to come to him. I can't make it without him. There is something about faith being born in crises. What you do in your crises and who you go to reveals the most about you. I hear a man that when he got the word that 10 of his children died in one day, he said, let's have a worship meeting. None of this bargaining, God, you don't ever do that to me or I won't serve you. I know a man in this church, he said, I walked away from God because God didn't change my girl the way I prayed. So I walked away for 20 years. And made a mess out of his life. God is not an errand boy to satisfy your every wondering desire. He's God. He doesn't have to do anything for you. I said he doesn't have to do anything. He owes none of us anything. He is God and never do anything for anybody. Don't boss this God. He's in charge. You should fear the Lord. Fear the Lord that his hand will not be against you or your family tree or whatever, your body, your children. But in crises, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Did you know what? God might use that child of yours to get your attention. I think a Lyle Bombardier had a girl breaking his heart, and he came to church occasionally with Gala, but he came, and this girl was... Uh, breaking his heart, and he was loosely tied to the church, was a drummer for little, little oaky bars and played music and come once in a while with Gala. But I never forget the day he came, and we were talking, and he was talking about this girl. I'm concerned. I want her back and whatever. And I said, you know what, Lyle? You're acting as much like your daughter with the Lord as she's acting towards you. God wants you, Lyle. God wants you. You may never change the girl, but could God get you? And God got him. He's been here ever since. Ever since. Played in our worship team for years. God turned a brokenhearted dad's heart towards home. Crises had a divine effect. God was tracking him down with his own girl. God uses sorrow to get you to come to the only one that can wipe your tears and restore and build your heart. Crisis faith. Where are you going to run? When crisis hits your home, 
your health, your finances. My daughter gave me the line that I had never heard before, and I've used it ever since. I'll never forget it when she told me, I didn't know that Jesus was all that I needed until he was all I had. If she felt stripped, felt removed from God, family, friends, but in her sorrow and in her pain, God made her say, all you've really got is me. You ought not run from me. To whom can we go, Lord? Only you have the words of eternal life. Well, in his crisis, he says, I don't know this man, but I'm going to make a 20-mile trip, a day's trip. I got to get to the only one that can take the case. Nobody so far has done it. So he beseeches Christ. And in the Greek, he just keeps repeating the request. I don't care about what the Galileans think of you. I know they design the demands, miracles, and signs. I am just telling you I got a boy about to die, and you're the only one that can fix it. And Christ says to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. That's it. Come on, Joe Merrill, I want to see it. He didn't even get to see it. Because he didn't know he was talking to someone who has authority over disease, death, and distance. He doesn't have to be in the room to perform the deed. Matter of fact, he's sitting on a throne right now, and he can meet you here today. He can step right down. He's high, but he's not so high that he can't stoop low, low to where you are. He came down. David said, he stooped to make me great. I am moved by those words. Our God stoops. He can just say the word, and it's done. And the man, just as soon as he heard it, all he said, Jesus said, your son is going to be okay. That's good enough for me. I believe it. That's called convinced or confident faith. Uh, there's a real danger in sensuous faith that I won't believe unless I see it. I thought faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you can't even see. Isn't it interesting that John the Baptist never performed one miracle, and he was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament? Elisha did 14 miracles. Elijah did seven. But here John the Baptist, Jesus said, the greatest prophet that ever lived never did one miracle. Well, he must not have the Holy Ghost. He must not have the power. What's wrong with him? But John said in John 7, but everything he said about this man Christ was true. You know what's wrong with most of you? You don't believe the word of God's enough. You seek a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you, but your Bibles aren't worn out. You're not, you don't have any verses stained with your tears where you're saying, I'm counting on you doing what you said. I'm taking you at your word. He said your boy will live. 
the man believed the word Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way, and he didn't even get home till the next day because he had this majestic leisure of knowing if God said it, it's done. He didn't go home a nervous wreck wondering, did he? Didn't he? He said it. We've got more dynamite, more power, more promises. Did any of you, a lot of you look so young and frisky, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Did any of you ever see a promise box? Who grew up with promise boxes? And you're a remnant in this church. Man, these folks were on the ark. I mean, this is a few. Just everybody kind of dim. Well, I... My sister, for sure, she had a promise box. And promise boxes were simply scriptures in a little box, and you'd pull a promise each day out of there, or you can pull it for a promise for the week, however, and, and you would just pull that out, and that was your promise you'd cling to for the week. Because uh, you were living on promises and not dying on problems. Living on promises and not dying on problems. Some saints, every time I get with them, all I hear is their problems. I never hear any promises. I don't hear a promise. If you, your God already died. He can't keep his word. Well, you know, this was written over 1,900 years ago. Did you know in Hebrews, he said the word of God is alive and powerful, and it's in the Greek, it's a present tense. It is living today, he saith unto you. The word is as alive as God. God. If God says it, heaven and earth could pass away. It won't. My dad had a great problem as a Pentecostal deacon. He couldn't get tongues. He kept trying, but he never did get through, and Guys in those kinds of churches, if they didn't have tongues, sometimes you couldn't be a deacon. They'd still accept your offering, but you couldn't be deacon and, and, and things like that. And, and you wanted, what's wrong? Is there sin in my life? And uh, in his frustration, he went to one of our uh, African-American brothers that he loved in Berkeley, old Brother Brown. And they went to him and he said, I don't know, I've sought I've given up. I've held on. I've tried. I just can't get it. And old Brother Brown in wisdom just gave him the comforting word that freed him. He said, Brother Howard, God has given you his word. It's enough. The word, see what us conservative folks do, you may, there's a word out there. When are you going to say it's a word for me? God's talking to me. See, I, I could get loud because I'm trying to wake up the last row. But let me tell you, this Bible, this Bible is God talking. He that's got an ear to hear, let him hear what God's saying. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he writes, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these... He says, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And at the end of the day, that's what our series through the book of John is all about, that you would believe that you would have life in his name. You have questions? We might have some answers. If not, we definitely have access to the one who does through prayer. We'd love to hear from you. Please. 
feel free to get in touch with us. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, maybe you'd like to listen to today's program again or obtain the entire series, well, feel free to get a hold of us at 855-833-9864. Again, that's a toll-free call, 855-833-9864. Otherwise, you can visit our website, valleybible.org. We have resource materials available there, books, as well as information about who we are and what we believe. If you'd like to join us for worship at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, our service time and location and directions can all be found again at valleybible.org. Or if you wish to speak with someone again, call 855-833-9864. Now, if you are writing to us, especially if you are planning to be a TFT sustainer, supporting the ministry financially as you're being blessed day by day here from Truth For Today, well, you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. We're here in Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. Now, as a TFT sustainer, we'd like to remind you that no gift is too small, no gift is too large. And as you partner with us, please remember that your tax-deductible donation all goes back into the ministry, 100%. Now, as a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, our annual special gift, and access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. Plus, also the benefit of knowing that this ministry will continue here on KFAX Monday through Friday as well as Sunday. So contact us today, 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 